Hello and welcome to the False Neutral. This is episode number 63. Garrett is back. I'm back. <laughs> so you won't be completely bored with just me flying solo and yapping for 20 minutes. You'll get a little variety this time and Garrett's back from, from his ride, his birthday ride, or just trip that happened to fall upon your birthday yeah. by design or by accident all, all um, of the above all of the above all right and then uh we'll, we'll talk about a couple other things as well so as for uh, before we get into the ride garrett you uh we talked about last week about ducati being sold off from vw to help fund you know all the 30 billion dollars well, 20, 20 20 billion dollars plus in fines worldwide uh yeah so a billion here a billion there i guess it'll add, add up eventually right. so so yeah, I mean we we talked about the possibility of Volkswagen getting rid of Ducati a long time ago, um, because I think that it's been kind of in the rumor mill ever since the whole uh, emissions scandal broke with Volkswagen. But now it sounds like things are are moving a lot more seriously. So from what I understand, is Ducati is going to be sold. Volkswagen put a bid out, or sorry, Volkswagen Ducati. Harley put a bid out on Ducati for I think 1.67 billion, which honestly doesn't seem like that much. But I based, don't know. Based on their sales, because right, I saw like a 1.2 or 1.4 billion dollar asking or you know guesstimate valuation, and some people yeah. were questioning when we might be at sort of a market peak as far as sales. Whether that was a that was a pretty strong valuation at that point. So we'll see if someone yeah. wants to overpay. So yeah. Well, I know that Harley, they really want to expand their business a little bit because their profit profitability on their bikes has just been a little bit stagnant in the recent years. So I know that there's a lot of other people that would love to buy Ducati also. I think that there's probably a good amount of room for Ducati as a company to grow. But my that that is precisely my concern with Harley buying them is they haven't really been able to do a whole lot with their core business. And I feel like if you can't do that much, then what are you going to do with a company like Ducati? Yeah, and, um, and, and they've and they've proven so uh, proven so adept at appealing to a younger crowd and b the sporty crowd, the you yeah. know the style crowd uh, when they had you know Buell, <laughs> right? And I'm confident that they will largely just own the company, and and it'll probably still be run similar to how it's being run now but my concern is when it comes down to the hard financial decisions are they going to neglect to rework an exhaust system and have to move foot pegs on a a bike (laughs) just so they can save a penny or two here and there like you know that's just my big concern is they've the things that they've done with their own company they just cannot make those mistakes with ducati they will lose their they don't have that hundred-year-old traditional nostalgic customer base you know they they just can't lose customers with ducati by doing stupid stuff like that so you know secretly i hope that somebody else buys them i would just hate to see harley drive that company into the ground but we'll see we'll see what happens i've seen a rumor that mercedes slash more amg might be interested and that's and that's a possibility only because or i'm sorry it's, it's a legitimate rumor in the sense that before Volkswagen Audi slash Volkswagen bought Ducati, they there was a marketing promotion or marketing agreement between the two. 
yeah. where uh, there was AMG branding on the Ducatis, and then they did some AMG Ducat. Yeah, there was. Anyways, that was they had done yeah. some stuff in the past, so that it, that would make me feel better. Yeah, well, I would love to see a company buy Ducati that has experience in motorsports, particularly in the upper echelons of racing, mm-hmm. just because I feel like in a company like Mercedes, they value technology and innovation and you know pushing the envelope and even though they're not a motorcycling company and you know never really have been i I think that they'd probably be more suited for a company like ducati than harley is absolutely so and speaking of uh harley there's been some recent spy photos of their um v4 super bike that ducati what do i keep saying (laughs) You said Harley on that one. That's all right. Well, you got Harley on the brain, so it's all yeah. good. It's all good. Uh, yeah, Ducati, their V4 Superbike, which I think has also been kind of a rumor for a while, but this is the first time where people have seen um, some actual photos of it. And I think that people knew that something like this would have to come at some point just because of uh, engine racing rules and things of that nature. They're going to be putting their uh, V4 moto that currently they use in uh, MotoGP, although, you know, a detuned, much lower cost version of it is going to be in a production bike, I think in 2019. So they're still sticking with the V-Twin Panigale for their flagship production bike. But that'll be switching in a couple of years to their V4, which is really exciting. I I, I like V motors, and, and I really have fallen in love with V4 motors, especially after riding the uh, Tuana around a little bit. But I'm excited to see the kind of power and torque and noise that a Ducati could make with a four-cylinder bike and a production chassis. Yeah, just the, they're trying to spin a... How big are those bores? Like 104 or 108 millimeters? Yeah. I mean, you know, and they're right. spinning them at 10 and 11,000 RPM. That's just. Yeah, they got to have a short stroke and a big bore to be able to achieve that kind of RPM in a V twin. So. Yeah. And the um, fact that they're getting 200 horsepower out of that is. It's remarkable. It is remarkable. So, yeah, yeah, just for scale, to think about the MotoGP bike officially is 250 horsepower, but it's more like 265, 270. Yeah. yeah. So, and yes, it's not going to have near the the exoticness of it of of that of that yeah. but still i mean 200 horsepower is sort of a baseline number now for a thousand cc yeah. superbike so for sure and, yeah 200 to 205 but i wouldn't be surprised if we see a 210 you know, perhaps a super legera virgin that's you know forty five thousand dollars that might push 215 horsepower yeah you know and probably will weigh 370 pounds yeah that would so. be that would be wicked, which would yeah. really put weight wise would put it near what a MotoGP bike is at these days. MotoGP bikes have become very heavy um, yeah. since the movie. Well, with all stroke. the electronics yeah. and everything that they've had to add on to them, they've they've gained some weight. It's it's crazy to think that back in the you know the height or at the end towards the end of the uh, uh, two stroke era, the the bikes were a hundred and sixty, I think a hundred and sixty kilos, so roughly three hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah, <laughs> for a yeah. you know, 170 horsepower two-stroke. <laughs> yeah, and it is—it's incredible how light two-stroke motors are without cams to turn and valves and the Chains rest of that. They're yeah, yeah just yeah, yeah. such light engines. Yep. Uh, yeah, and then speaking of super bikes with lots of horsepower and lightweight, I didn't get the chance to go with my friend, but he—he he was getting a new tire put on his Aprilia Tuano. 
and the the Aprilia dealer here in Portland, they're super cool. They gave him the keys to a new 2017 RSV4RR to take around while they were changing his tire out. So he went and rode that around, and immediately when he got off of it, he texted me. He's like, yeah, it's just not the bike for me. Hmm. And he was actually kind of disappointed in a few things. You know, his his big point was there is no one thing about it that was better than a Tuano. Hmm. Like, in every way, it was either is good or not quite as good and so even like the performance the the rsv4rr is supposed to have a little bit more power but he felt like it had a little bit less power than his tuano now his has a race ecu and a few other bits on it that might pump the performance up just a little bit but he was a little bit underwhelmed by the power and then also just the comfort of it just wasn't a big fan of so he would definitely, I think, buy a Tuano over an RSV4 just because it's at least as good in every way, if not better, the Tuano is. So yeah, it, it, I thought that was interesting. No, that's that. That is well, if it's the new Tuano, it's got an extra hundred CC, so it might be a little torquier. Yeah. Um, so that might. That well, might... the 2017 RSV4 RR, I think, is the same. Uh, um, it's still a th- it's still a thousand because it has to be for racing regulations and yeah i knew that they had to have the thousand cc motor but for whatever reason i thought that i was reading somewhere that they went with the 1077 cc hmm. model for the production but i i could be wrong yeah i really I, haven't like into it that much there's but. um it, it, it's interesting one of the over the last in the last week or 10 days motorcycle.com did their their superbike test for this year mm-hmm. and it was the tuano the CBR 1000RR, the Kawasaki, the Suzuki, the Yamaha, the BMW, and then they threw in a Buell. <laughs> and I, I forgot if the if the Aprilia actually ended up winning. If it didn't, it was like it lost by like one point to yeah. Uh, I forgot what. Anyways, uh, but the 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 one thing that was interesting the the, the when they waited on their scales, the Tuana or excuse me, the uh, the Aprilia was 470 pounds. So it's oh, actually wow. become rather well, rather heavy. Yeah. And I know that my friend weighed his on the scale at his work. And I want to say that it, the way his sits with a full tank, um, but it you know doesn't have the, the original muffler on it, I think his weighed just about the same as my FZ1 did, which was right about 460. Mm. You know, and granted, that's with a, a Acropovic exhaust rather than the original one which probably saves 12 or 13 pounds but i was actually really surprised at how heavy it is i mean because an fc1 there's not really a lot of engineering to save weight (laughs) in fc1 i mean that's not what the bike is designed to do but a tuano on the other hand for all intents and purposes is a rsv4 and it's kind of surprisingly heavy i'm guessing that a lot of it is weight is is weight from the from the frame and the swing arm just because it has to be so strong to make the handling as good as it is right it's a guess i'm guessing at that point but well one thing i can say with absolute certainty is it doesn't ride like it weighs that much i mean it feels like it weighs 350 pounds when you ride it it's absolutely incredible but so yeah at any rate i as you know just finished my ride trip which (laughs) you know i i had planned this long time ago i mean probably almost a year ago and it evolved probably a dozen different times into the trip that we ended up taking we were going to do 
a ride up through the Puget Sound area up around Washington and kind of just follow the coastline. And a couple weeks or a week and a half or so before we were going to go, I was just looking at like the, the long way out forecast, which is never very accurate, but it showed temperatures on the coast being a little bit cold. And I, I just didn't really want to ride in, you know, 48 to 52 Ooh. degree weather. Okay. Yeah. I le- like legitimately cold. When you're saying cold, I'm yeah. thinking like, ah, you know, I, well, you know, they were showing like daytime highs of 62. And, and, and that's not bad, except that the bulk of our riding was planned for the morning hours and getting to our destination, uh, in the early afternoon. And so by the time the marine layer blew off and all that, yeah, it, it would reach 62 eventually, but not when we were riding. Right. And so I just didn't really want to ride in that kind of cold weather. So then I kind of made this decision where we would end up going kind of southeast into a more desert climate. The The interesting thing about the Northwest is, you can go on one side of the mountain range and it's just wet. It's, it's cool. Um, but on the other side of the mountain range, it's a completely, there's no trees. It's just dry desert, no rain. And so, you know, it's just a difference of 40 miles this way or 40 miles that way. And you can have a completely different climate. So when it was uh, looking like it was going to be a little bit wet and cold, we decided to go east but then <laughs> a few days before we were going to leave, they started forecasting this record heat. I mean, like 102 degrees at our house, which means in the desert area, I mean, we're talking 110 degree weather. Wow. So we ended up uh, kind of doing a compromise where we didn't end up going up north around the Puget Sound area following the coastline. We rode, we took this really convoluted route where we rode north from Portland up near Mount St. Helens, which if you might know or some of our listeners know is a big volcano that erupted in the 80s and was um, quite the event. So we rode up around that. There's a number of different reservoirs along that route. And then we followed that, kind of went east, dropped down across the Columbia River, down into Oregon, um, onto the mountain where we stayed at my cabin our first night of the journey. And then we kind of did some exploring from there. But the route that we took is a route that I've never uh, ridden before. It went up, like I said, around those reservoirs and through the Gifford Pinchot National Forest or Pinchot. I don't really know how to say it. But at any rate, they it was amazing. They did a bunch of repaving during the spring. And it's it's remote. It is definitely a remote wilderness. But the the roads were all brand new pavement and really just windy, broad, sweeping curves the entire time. I mean, we had a section of road where it was probably 60 to 70 miles of just constant turning on brand new pavement. And we didn't see a car the entire time. Uh, There is nothing. And easily the greatest road I have ever ridden on. I mean, it's so good that it's, it's quite the ride to get there, but we have ridden it a couple times just since coming back from that trip. I mean, just like day road rides just to get out there to ride that road. I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant. So we got to do that, which was incredible. Uh, we ended up getting to my cabin pretty late and we stayed the night there. The following day, and I should probably throw some pictures up, we went to this town out in eastern Oregon called Shanico, which is... It was an abandoned town, but then it kind of 
became a little tourist attraction. So now there's probably like five or six people that live there. But they have a bunch of neat things, including this car museum that has been abandoned for 45 or 50 years. But it's it's open. Like, you can walk into it. And, and all the cars are still there. <laughs> and they haven't been touched for 45 years. So, I mean, they're, you know, in, in disrepair. But it's just really cool because it's this museum that was going all the time and people would go there and then just people stopped going and so there's you know probably a dozen or so cars that have just been sitting there for 50 years so yeah we did that a couple of really weird things happened on our trip and i think luckily we missed a bulk of all of the craziness on our way to shanico we stopped in this town called mop in oregon and this this group of harleys came in and super nice guys but one of them on this fully dressed bagger Harley right directly in front of us crashed it into a car. Ooh. Yeah. So like, I think he was like looking somewhere else and there was a car parked on the side of the road and just clipped it and just wiped it out right in the middle of the main road through this town. And I just felt so bad for the guy. Cause I mean, it just happened to be looking over a little bit and drifted to the right. And there was a car and just, it was a beautiful bike, too, and just crumpled it up good. So we helped him get it back up on its wheels, and we took off out of there. So then we went out of Moppin, went to Shanico on our way back, which only about an hour of time passed. A car had driven off the road, flipped, was, like, up the hillside. They managed to, like, roll it uphill, <laughs> all the windows and everything blown out of it. And then the guy had his suitcases and, like, a bunch of other stuff just sitting on the side of the road. Like, didn't even look at anybody passing by, just his, his head on his hand, sitting <laughs> on his stuff. I mean, it looked like he had a real bad day. Yeah. So we asked him if he needed anything, and he said no. So we kept on going, but uh-oh, it was it was pretty bad. We got out of that area, and the next day, the not the whole area, but a good portion of it caught on fire. There was some oh, sort of, like, wow. brush fire. So we missed all of that, luckily. And then, so the day after that, we were on our way home, and we were only about 40 miles away from Portland in a town called Stevenson, Washington. It's actually just on the other side of the Columbia River. And we had just finished having lunch. It was uh, my birthday on that day. And we were getting on our motorcycles, and another uh, guy and his wife were leaving the restaurant, getting on their motorcycle, and they're just about to pull out onto the road. And an SUV was going by a little too fast, but they just laid on their horn because it looked like the motorcycle was about to pull out in front. And the motorcyclist got really upset by the SUV laying on the horn, so he took off after the SUV, his wife on the back. No protective gear, except for just, you know, half helmets, but T-shirts, jean shorts, that's it took off after this SUV and came up on it too fast. I think what happened is the guy hit the front brake too hard and just lost it. Yard sale, motorcycles spinning down the road, people spinning down the road, stuff flying everywhere. It was brutal. Just brutal. Yeah, and I mean, just a block up the street from us, but I feel really bad for the guy's wife. I mean, she was a victim of that whole situation because her husband got a temper because, you know, somebody honked their horn at him and just road rage. Yeah, well, I mean, 
find an SUV driver, I mean, like, okay, I don't want to hit a motorcycle. Hey, you, yeah. you know, are they not paying attention or what's going on? Right. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and then the, a couple other things happened too. Just the day after we got home, big oil truck crashed on the road. Like, so that town of Stevenson where that, that motorcycle has crashed in between Stevenson and Portland, it's like a 40 mile stretch and it's a pretty scenic road. It just winds along the Columbia River. A semi-truck had crashed and dumped 10,000 gallons of tar across that road. Yeah, so just like a bunch of these like weird things happened just after we left. Luckily, we didn't get stuck in any of it. But yeah. it ended up being a very, very warm ride. Like I said, we had that heat wave, which wasn't bad up on the mountain. But um, on our way home, it was about 102 degrees. Which, even on a motorcycle, is just not fun to ride in. That's too warm. Yeah, well, just be lucky that where you are, you don't really have humidity. No, that's true, yeah. Because around here, when it's 90 and 100. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's not, like, say, as bad as, like, Florida or Atlanta or Alabama or something like that. But it gets, you know, north of 50, 60% humidity usually around here if it's that hot. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have very low humidity, and luckily, you know, we get heat waves like that, but generally it's, you know, 80, 82 degrees during the summertime with low humidity, so normally it's pleasant. Had I known it was going to be so hot, we probably would have picked a different weekend, but I don't know. It worked out. It was fun. So you took your your FC1, your buddy who had the bike you didn't want him to take, and then bought the near identical fc1 he had his what yes. else who else what else was out on the ride uh just um my other buddy he took his fc09 he uh got saddlebags for it and kind of toured it all out so he rode that then he i guess he didn't want to put the miles on his tuano but also the tuano is not a very good touring bike i mean it's difficult to put stuff on it gotcha. anywhere but so yeah we I, I we didn't really get to do as much riding as we had hoped to do. So a little bit later in July, on the 22nd and 23rd, we're going to go on a two-day ride on Saturday and Sunday. So it's going to be about 600 miles over two days. And so, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Should hopefully be not quite as warm. Yeah, well, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, did you guys do any bike swapping at all, or you kind of just rode your own bikes through the whole thing? Um, they, my two buddies, they did some bike swapping. I really don't like riding other people's bikes that much. I mean, the Tuano is one thing just cause that's a dream bike. But sure. aside from that, I just, yeah, I just don't really like riding other people's bikes. They, they swapped each other's bikes just for a little bit. It's interesting. The, the FC09 is, is decently powerful and super light, but it just doesn't really have the top end pull like the FC1 does. So they did a couple of, uh, you know, roll-on races out in the middle of nowhere where you could see for miles and miles in each direction. And the FC09 and the FC1s will kind of pull together decently the same for a little while. But as soon as they get up and speed a little bit, then the FC1 just pulls on it. Once, um, you, hit his, about, once you hit about triple-digit speeds, it's displacement, yeah. displacement wins. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, his is tuned up um, pretty well, and it makes about 130 horsepower. But still, the FC1, although heavier, makes about 150. So, yeah. you know, when you're up in the triple-digit speeds, yeah, it definitely pulls on the FC09. Sorry. So, 
triple digit speeds, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. <laughs> I'm not going to confirm that that happened, uh, right. but you know, it, you just you never look down at your speedometer no. when you're. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it'll be good. I look forward to seeing a couple some of those pictures, and we'll definitely put those up on the on the website, and then uh, probably over on the Facebook page as well. Yeah, so. I'll work on uh, throwing those up here now. But yeah, so um, that was good. I had uh, planned on trying to do a podcast, recording a podcast with my friends while we were up there. I, I need to get a couple of extra USB microphones so that they can uh, podcast with me. And I, I looked at, and I remember talking to you about it a while back, but I looked at a few different ways on how to simultaneously record multiple USB microphones through uh, one device. And I mean, there's no like super easy, super duper cheap way to do it. But I think from what I was reading, uh, GarageBand on a Mac can recognize three microphones independently through like one USB. Yeah, through a USB or... hub. I believe that's correct. Yes. Yeah. I, I haven't so... done it in so long. I can't remember, but that seems that seems right. Yeah. So I'm going to order some USB microphones and probably on one of these uh, rides that we go on, uh, maybe do like a recap thing while we're all right in the middle of it. Yeah. And Amazon's got like for like 20 bucks, you can buy like a four, eight port USB hub and yeah. plug it in and you're good to go. So yeah, right. oh, that'll be good. We'll, uh, we'll talk about this next week, but Pete has also been on a ride. He did, not only did he do the smack dab ride, but then he's taken time after that, and uh, if you're following us if on uh, on our Facebook page, he's posted a couple pictures. Uh, but he's been to up into North Dakota, South Dakota, been to Mount Rushmore, and a couple cool pictures of riding through the Badlands. So, uh, yeah, his ride made mine look like, uh, <laughs> I mean, like nothing. I mean, he did what, like two thousand miles or something like that. Yeah, but there's there's a difference of like. Yeah, it's a lot of miles, but it's a lot of miles on roads that go very straight for very long periods yeah, of time. Where that's true, and 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 for some people, and, and I'm not saying Pete is like, oh, that's what he would want to do only, but that you know that's what some people look forward to. And you and I were like, I'd rather do 300 miles and like be dead tired from like flicking the bike left and right, and right. maybe not ever seeing over 90 miles an hour. Yeah, hell, not even maybe seeing over 70 miles an hour. But just the ability to to carve corners all day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And then, so I also figured out, this is the first time where I've ridden over multiple days, and really the first time that I've done this many miles in, in one day. And I figured out that jeans and cotton underwear are not the best <laughs> <No>. <laughs> riding clothes, as most guys would probably understand why. But so I got some, like some of those like under armor athletic underwear that like, you know, wick moisture. And then I've been looking at getting some like warm weather riding pants that are well ventilated. And cause you know, surprisingly my butt never got sore from sitting on it. Uh, despite having a carbon seat that's harder than a diamond. So like I was, I was, I was really anticipating having a sore bottom from sitting. That didn't happen. It was just like, chafing and and <laughs> other irritations traffic, yeah but okay. mo moisture discomfort yes. <laughs> yep 
so yeah that that i definitely uh need to work on it for the next time i do a, a super long ride so I, I got the new underwear just need to get some like breathable riding pants the other thing that works really well are bicyclist shorts yeah yeah i was reading about that um but, but yeah it's it's amazing what proper proper ventilation and materials can do to the other regions yes <laughs> and then and then when in doubt not to plug a guy's podcast who doesn't need our plugging but matt farah's what was a chassis yeah exactly. <laughs> you can go look that up but yeah you yeah. and and then you you probably if you're a guy you know exactly what we're talking about but we'll leave it at that since they're not since they're not uh sponsoring our podcast we're not going to give them too much uh yeah they too don't much air it. time right so that's cool that's that uh sounds like it was a good ride and definitely another good one another plan and then you uh and we'll post this on the on the Universe page and also in Facebook as well. But he, Garrett uh, sent over the picture of the of that old car museum. That's that's pretty crazy. A bunch of yeah. A's and T's sitting in there. Yep. So that is that's very cool. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's about half an hour. It's probably a good uh, good stopping point. A few other things to talk about, but we'll uh, we'll save those for for down the road. Make sure that you're uh, make sure that you're subscribed and and come back next week because as we said, Pete will be back with uh, Ethan who's. He's at Ethan. The story behind Ethan is: is he sent in a question, what about four months ago, five months ago, mm -hmm. asking about whether he should, he was moving and whether he should ride his bike, which I want to say was like a CB five hundred, not a CB five hundred, but it was an older Honda. I seem to recall. Yeah. Uh, or whether he should sell it and just buy something new, and we recommended he sell it and buy something new at his new location, and that's what he ended up doing. And then he went on the smack dab ride with Pete, so uh, Ethan's going to join us on next week's show as well. So that should be. Should be good to hear uh, for their their adventures uh, for next yeah. week. So, uh, well, think, cool. Yeah. So make sure that you are subscribed to our podcast and that you like us over on Facebook. That's where we do all of our updates. Twitter, eh, not so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anything else for you, Garrett? That should be about it for this week. All right. So until we talk to you again, have fun, be good. Most importantly, keep it on two wheels. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye bye.